Good morning. My name is Adam Venable, and I think I may have put too much on this stand. It's sinking on me. I, with my wife and our kids, were members of this church, Red Mountain Church, for seven and a half years. Not too long ago, we moved to Huntsville, Alabama, where, Lord willing, we are hoping to plant a church. We're about a year and a half in. We've got small groups, and we're really thankful to y'all It's great to be away, to leave and come back and feel welcomed and and loved. And I'm especially thankful for Carol and Phillips. I don't even know if she's here this morning, but, you know, I get a text message from Carolyn every, I don't know, a month or so. How can we pray for you? And I always think, I can't remember the last time I saw you in this, you have a prayer team or something. I don't know who these people are. It's been a while since I've seen anyone at Red Mountain, and you want to know how you can pray for me. That's just amazing to be somewhere else, and folks that you haven't seen in a long time, or folks you don't even know, to know that they're praying for you. And so, we're really thankful to be back here, and we're going to be looking at Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. This is a letter probably written from Rome in a jail in Rome by the Apostle Paul to a city in what's Turkey, modern-day Turkey. That's who this letter is written to, a church in Ephesus, and this is God's Word. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he's blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory." In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would teach us about you. Teach us about ourselves and teach us how to live today in the powerful name of your son, Jesus, through your spirit. And we pray this in your name. Amen. I was talking to a friend of mine recently who is a Christian and he's a faithful church goer. He's a family. And my friend was saying that when he gets home... He just feels like it's chaos and like God is just far away from him the moment he gets home. And he can go to church and he can worship, 
But in this space, when he arrives there, it's like God is far, far away. And I don't think that's unique to my friend. I think we've all experienced that. I felt that way. And maybe it's not home. Maybe it's when you get to work that you feel like God is far away from you. Or when you see that person, it's like instantly you feel like you are far away from God. And if you've ever struggled with that, I hope this passage is especially encouraging to you. The first people who read this letter 2,000 years ago would have had the exact same struggle. They were new believers. The Ephesians who'd become Christians, most of them did not grow up in church. They didn't grow up reading the Bible, believing in Jesus, and Scripture was new to them. They had trusted in Christ, but there was this temptation that they wouldn't connect Jesus to different parts of their life. And they had this temptation that when they were there, or when they went to that place, or when they saw that person, they just forgot all about their faith in Christ and forgot all about that they were even Christians. And so Paul is writing this letter to encourage them. It's a letter of encouragement. There we go. Um, I, you know, I, my Bible, I got a really big Bible last year because I'm a church planner now. Got to have a big Bible. <laughs> and I think that's what's doing it. So I'm just going to set it down over here. So Paul is writing this letter to encourage this church in Ephesus. And we all need encouraging. Have you ever tried to encourage someone And they looked at you and they said, you know, I I appreciate that. I really have all the encouragement that I need. I'm Like, I have so much encouragement, I, I don't even need those words that you're saying to me. No one ever says that. Everyone always needs encouraging. And Paul knows that about this church in Ephesus. So he's he's writing them this letter. Do you know what the overall point of Ephesians is? Any of you folks who've read the book, what's the point of the whole letter? Well... Paul wants them to see and realize and appreciate the riches of their calling in Jesus. And then to live that out in their everyday life. And in this particular part of the letter, it's really a song or a poem. And it's almost patterned after Psalm 103. You know that psalm, Psalm 103, where he says, You know, blessed be the Lord. Don't forget all the benefits that the Lord has given you. Don't forget them. And it's a prayer to God, but he's laying out all these benefits that the Lord has given us. That's a lot like what this passage is like. Paul's laying out all the benefits of salvation in Jesus. But it's not an Excel spreadsheet of, here they are, I'm going to list them for you. But Paul is saying, I want you to listen to me pray. And as you listen to me pray, I want you to realize everything that Jesus has given you. And he says that these are spiritual blessings in heavenly places and that God is blessed because he's given us all these blessings in heavenly places. And what he means by that is for Jews, heaven was this place that was up above and disconnected from our our regular life in some way because this transcendent, awesome God was in the heavenly places. And he was 
incomprehensible, and he was unapproachable. He dwells in unapproachable light, the Bible says. And what Paul is saying is that this place that's unapproachable and that you don't really have access to it because God is so great. It's there that Jesus has secured all the blessings that you need. This place that might be incomprehensible and unapproachable, it's there that Jesus has made a home for you. And not just for you as an individual, but to this group, this fellowship, this people. Ephesians is not written to Tychicus or Titus or Timothy. Ephesians is written to a a, a body, a group of people. And Paul's wanting to encourage them as a group. And just to give you an image of what Paul wants to do here under the inspiration of the Spirit. Paul, this song, he's going to lay it out in sort of three sections under the Father and the Son and the Spirit. This prayer that he's praying is these three different sections to it. And I want you to picture you're in your driveway and three giant Amazon trucks back down into your driveway. I lived on Alford Avenue when we were here. And so the trucks, when they came uh, into our driveway, it was down. It was like down a giant hill because we lived on a hill. So picture these three giant Amazon trucks, and they back you know, in, into your driveway, and the driver gets out, and he comes to you and he says, listen, Jeff Bezos has given you everything that's in these three trucks, and in these three trucks is everything you're ever going to need, ever, for your whole life. And you think, well, that's, this is very unusual. There's three giant Amazon trucks in my yard. And you say, well, what's exactly in the trucks? Is this like Amazon basic t-shirts? What's in the trucks? And he says, well, I can tell you, but I'm a Christian. And what I'd like to do is just pray with you. Could we pray for a minute? And as I pray, I think you'll realize everything that's in these three trucks, okay? So the first truck, what's in the first truck? It's all these blessings that are given from God the Father, It says that he chose us. That's the first thing that's in this giant truck of blessings from the Father. God the Father chose us, it says, before the foundation of the world. And that he did this according to his own good pleasure. And what does that mean? Well, remember that to the Jews being chosen in God, God had reminded the Jews... That I chose you not because you were wonderful. I chose you not because you were great. I chose you not because you were righteous. But because of my good pleasure. Because of the goodness of my grace. That's why God said he chose the Jews. And so these Gentiles, these new believers have come into the church. And God wants to remind them that I have chosen you in the exact same way. It is not because of how good you are. It is because of my grace, purely by my grace, that I set my mind on you and my affection on you and my heart on you. And he says that he did this before the foundation of the world. And I'm not a scholar on Greek history. At least one of you here, I think, is. But you can correct me if I'm wrong after the service. But to the Greeks, Greek culture, the gods did not make the world. In Greek culture, the world made the gods. And so, in Ephesus, Greek culture, 
the gospel is revealing this whole new kind of God. A God that was not made by the world, but a God that made the world. And this first blessing of being chosen by our Heavenly Father that loves us, the gospel is saying, this is a different sort of God. A God that existed before the world was ever made, and that before the world was ever made, do you know what he was doing? He was thinking about you, you Ephesians who are in Christ. Remember, not just as individuals, but their group, their family, their their people, their fellowship. I was thinking about you together. You were on my mind before I made the whole world. And these Ephesian believers who were new to the faith, many of them, but they had heard of the Old Testament because there were also Jews in this church in Ephesus. They would have been tempted to think of themselves as inferior to these super-Christians. The Gentile Ephesian Christians sort of would have been tempted to think of themselves like the junior varsity Christians compared to the Jews who converted to Christianity because they knew the Bible. The Jewish converts did. They had all the Old Testament memorized. They knew all the Psalms. They knew all the right theology. And Paul is saying, you know how under the Old Covenant when I said, I chose those Jews. Remember when God chose the Jews? In the Old Covenant, when did God single out the Jews as his people? It was in Abraham, in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17. What God is saying here is that if you are in Christ... I chose you. I want you to know that I had my mind on you long before Abraham. That my choosing of you, it is so much greater than what I did with the Jews. It was long before Abraham, long before the Grand Canyon and the solar system and the whole world. I had my mind on you, loving you, choosing you for what was the purpose to be blameless and to be holy. And that's temple imagery. I chose chose you before the foundation of the world to be blameless and holy. And what Paul there is praising God for is that, Ephesians, do you know why you belong in the church? Right, The church is the temple of the Lord. Do you know why you belong there? It is not because you're morally pure all the time. It's not because you keep the law all the time. The reason you belong in the church, Ephesians is that God set his affection on you before the foundation of the world to be holy, be blameless. That's belonging language. That's why the priest belonged in the holy of holies. That's why the sacrifice could be offered there is because it was holy and blameless. And Paul is saying, I'm thankful to God. The reason you belong, the reason we belong together in the church, it is not because of anything that we did. It is simply because God the Father set his affection on us. That's the first truck. So what's the second truck? It's all these blessings in the sun. So there's these three trucks, and Paul is just praising God, blessing God for all these amazing blessings that he's given the Ephesians in the heavenly places. And he says that in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. In Jesus Christ, this second giant massive semi of blessings it's that Jesus has redeemed you Ephesians by his blood and that you have the forgiveness of your trespasses and that word redemption there it's all about the payment of a price you redeem something by paying for it making it yours making it your inheritance making it your possession and 
this thing that's so valuable and precious and expensive, it is belonging to God. It is knowing that me and my family, my brothers and sisters, my spiritual family, we who trust in Jesus, we've been baptized in your name. We belong to you, God. And you belong to us. The bad news is that that is so valuable that no one can afford it. No one can pay the price. You can't pray enough or obey enough, try to be a good person enough. No one can afford that. It is so precious and valuable. But the good news is that on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, his sacrifice paid the price so that Gentile, Ephesians, folks who used to worship this false god named Artemis, it was a giant temple in Ephesus to this god Artemis. Paul is saying that Jesus Christ through his sacrifice and his blood, he paid the price so that now God belongs to you. You belong to him. He's cleansed you of all of your sins. And this makes me think of the kids' catechism. I think you all do that at Red Mountain Church or have done it. I'm not going to get it exactly right, but I think it says something like, one of you kids can help me. Why do you need Jesus as your priest? Any of you remember that one? Why do you need Jesus as your priest? I think it's something like, because I'm, I'm dirty and I need to be cleansed from my sin. But then it asks, how is Jesus your priest? And it's that he cleanses me by the blood of his sacrifice. That to be a Christian means that I belong in this church because my heavenly father picked me to belong here. I don't know why. I don't know how, but he did. And, and it's also because I have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Completely redeemed from the curse of the law, Scripture says. And then it says that in Jesus, he made known to us the mystery of his will with wisdom and understanding as a plan for the right time to bring together in Christ things in heaven and things on earth, all brought together in Jesus. He says that Jesus is our inheritance and that we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. And if this sounds like it's too much to unpack and understand, that's Paul's point. Paul is stacking these blessings on top of each other, and he's doing it in a way that you can't count them. You can't keep up with them. This is one sentence in Greek, and what Paul is is meaning for you to see is that everything's here. They're all here. The, The plan and the wisdom and the redemption and the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And in particular, where Paul is saying the wisdom of God has been revealed in Jesus. What he's, what he's wanting him to see is that Ephesians, 2,000 years ago, you live in a world that is full of suffering. You, who, you live in a world where the wicked prosper. When the Ephesians believed in Jesus, many of them lost their jobs If you were single and you believed in Jesus, it became extremely hard to find a spouse. If you were a slave and you believed in Jesus, 
you risk being mistreated even worse than you were already being mistreated. And of course, they cried out, Lord, what is the plan here? What are we doing exactly? We believed in you and we feel far from you many times. What Paul is saying, if you want to see the plan of God, if you want to understand his purpose, look to Jesus. All of God's plan, all of his purposes, it feels incomprehensible and I don't understand it. Look to Jesus who was treated shamefully and who was treated unjustly and who was tortured and murdered and suffered on the cross. And he died and was buried in a tomb. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead and God exalted him to his right hand to be Lord and Messiah. And he's coming again to make all things new, not just for you and your heart and your mind, but for your entire spiritual family, Ephesians, you household of God, you holy temple. He's coming to make it all new. And he's going to come back and he's going to unite heaven and earth. We're going to be raised from the dead, all you who are in Christ. Paul is saying, bless him. Isn't this good? Pray with me. I want you to hear me bless God. Because I know that it's difficult for you to follow me there in Ephesus. There's one more thing that God gives the Ephesians and he gives us the third truck of these blessings because it's difficult to trust that all that's true. And God says that the last truck of blessings that I've given you, church, is the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He says, those who put their hope in Christ those who've heard the word of truth, which is the gospel, those who've believed and trusted not in themselves, those who've believed and trusted not in their ability to to do the work and figure this out somehow, but those who have fallen at the feet of Jesus and said, all I've got is you. All those people God has poured out and showered them with his presence in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's like our connecting point with God who's incomprehensible and with Jesus who doesn't walk around on the earth anymore in his body we can't see him he's up there with God the Father what's our connection point with him and it is by the Spirit by the Holy Spirit and it's through the Spirit that Jesus does walk among us and dwell with us through his presence And he calls it a sealing, that those who have the Spirit, those who have believed in Jesus, you get sealed, which is like a letter seal that authenticates the message. And he calls it a guarantee, or another way to say it is a down payment. The Spirit is a down payment on your future. That the Holy Spirit is a guarantee that Jesus is coming back, he's making all things new, Not just for you, but for your whole spiritual family, you you household of God, you church. The Spirit's the guarantee that that will happen one day. And as far as I know, you know, it's always the one that, who pays the price for the land. It's them that has to put down a down payment. 
right? And so it's also true here in Scripture that it's God who's paid the price for our salvation. It's Jesus' blood that was shed, not mine or yours. And so it makes sense that it would be God to be the one that would also put down the down payment. To say, I am serious when I say that in Christ, I have united heaven and earth. And I know it doesn't look like it right now. But I want you to feel the Spirit's presence among you. You know, it is so unique, the thing that the church has, the kind of community that it has. I mentioned these text messages that I get about you praying for us in our church plant. That's weird. That is not normal. People in the world don't do that. If you move away from someplace in the world, people uh, might have fond memories of you. They forget you eventually. They certainly don't send you a message saying, how can I pray for you? That is the mark of the Spirit. And as we experience that, it's God saying, man, there is so much more of that to come. It's going to blow your mind. This giant truck of blessings kind of backed into our our front yard. We've just begun to unpack it. There's, There's just a few of those things that we've unpacked. God is saying, I have given you so much, it's going to take you eternity to unpack it all. And you'll never unpack it all. So Father and the Son and the Spirit. And it's the Father in eternity past and the Son in history dying and then the Spirit coming into my life, me being forgiven, and then God's promise to come again. Paul is trying to lay out this big, broad picture of your past and your present and your future. It all belongs to Jesus. It all belongs to God. And you're going to have to trust me. You won't be able to look at the world and go, you know, this all adds up to what you're saying. We're going to have to trust God's word and keep trusting him and keep trusting him. Edith Hamilton's Greek mythology, have you all read that book? We just started homeschooling since we've moved to Huntsville. And we read all these great books. Um, and, I, and I'm aware of them now because Lisa's there, you know, packing them, stacking them up on the table. And so one of the books that they're reading is uh, Edith, uh, Edith Hamilton's Greek Mythology. And so I looked up something in that book based off this passage. And you can probably guess what I looked up. Can you guess what I looked up? Artemis. Artemis is the god whose massive temple was in Ephesus. And so, of course, there's a bit about Artemis in um, Edith Hamilton's book. And what she says in that book, again, I'm not a Greek scholar, but she says that Artemis really had three forms. Artemis in the air was Selena, and Artemis on the earth was Artemis. And then Artemis in the the underworld where you would go one day, well, that was Hecate. And it was Hecate that you wanted to avoid. You didn't want to get on Artemis' bad side because she would turn into Hecate 
And she was mean. And she was vindictive. And she wanted to punish you. And you wanted to stay on Artemis's good side. And this is amazing. These Ephesians are reading this for the first time. About a God in Jesus. There's not three forms to God. But there are three persons. And these three persons, they were always in sync and working together and with the same purpose and will and mind to lavish salvation according to uh, Jesus' grace and according to the pleasure of his will and to the praise of his glory. And we cannot get onto this God's good side. We can't do anything to get on to good side, God's good side or to stay on his good side. We can't do anything to guarantee that we'll be on his good side in the future. But in the gospel, Jesus promises us that before the foundation of the world in Christ, you were on God's good side. It had already happened. And in Christ, when he died for you, you were on God's good side in him. And in the future, when Jesus comes back, we will feel the uh, Niagara Falls of God's good side. And I was talking to a friend of mine recently who's not yet believed in Jesus. And I read this passage to him. I was trying to explain it to him. And I'll just end with this. And he said, I'm not ready to trust in that God yet. But the way you read that, and I understand it, that is the best God I've ever heard of. I've, I have never heard of a God that was that good. Blessed is God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who's given us every blessing in the heavenly places. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would pray with us, Lord Jesus. We need you to open our mouths that we might declare your praises. We bless you, Lord Jesus, Father and Son and Spirit, and we pray this in your name. Amen.